Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. future friends, haters, and ex-lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Crimes of the Heart. I'm your host, Rory Uphold, and today you're going to get to listen to a conversation with one of my favorite guests that I've had so far. And yeah, I realize that sounds hyperbolic, but it is also the truth. Before we get into it, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who has rated and reviewed the show. If you listen to this show, you know that I am constantly talking about it. It might even annoy you. (laughs) But I recently got an influx of new listeners. And for those of you who are just tuning in, if you like what you hear, please, please, please drop me five stars. It takes two seconds. Give me a review. I read them. I share them. I love them. Um, And it also really helps for an independent show like mine. So like I said, today's conversation is with one of my favorite guests that I've ever had on this show. Normally, I like to do a little buildup and then introduce the special guest, but I'm not even going to do that because I'm just so excited to share his work with you. His name is Ian Kerner, and he is a sex therapist and someone I greatly admire. I was put onto his work by one of the guests of this show. His name is Hunter March. He was a couple months ago. Great episode if you haven't listened. Hunter was reading She Comes First. He told me about it. I decided I was going to read that book. I did read that book, loved it, devoured it, immediately ordered all of Ian's other books, read them, loved them even more. And then I had to reach out. Naturally, I had to reach out and ask him to please, 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 please come on this show. And he agreed. And of course, I lost my damn mind. I just really, truly believe he is helping save relationships and sex lives. And I, oh gosh, I just want everybody to get to experience his work. And thankfully today, you'll get a little snapshot of it. But that's not enough for me. I would really, really love to gift a listener with a copy of one of his books. You can choose whichever one resonates with you. There will be a link in the show notes. If you go to it, it's to my new website. You can click on it, subscribe to the email list. Don't worry, I'm not going to spam you. The email list is for giveaways, opportunities, meetups, things like that. I absolutely do not plan on spamming you. I, I truly do not have the time for that. But if you subscribe to the email list, 
I'm going to go through and choose someone at random. And like I said, I will send you a copy of his book. You get to choose. And for those of you that don't want to sign up, I will also have links to his books in the show notes if you feel compelled to buy one. And for everybody else, you have today's conversation. So without further ado, today's special guest is a sex counselor, a licensed psychotherapist, a sex and relationship specialist, and a New York Times best-selling author. Please welcome Ian Kerner to Crimes of the Heart. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I'm really just the most excited that you're here. Oh, thanks. And I guess my first like question is, to you, a professional. Would you say that Americans are having good sex? When I say that Americans are having good sex, you know, I tend to see people who are not having good <laughs> sex. <laughs> you know, they're in New York, they're pretty busy. If they're coming to see me and they're forking over some money, they tend to, to not be having good sex. But I am helping them to have good sex. And it's interesting helping them in new ways like more and more couples that are struggling with sex are deciding to try non-monogamy and mm. give that a whirl. And that's something pretty new and interesting for your typical sort of cisgendered heterosexual couple that's had a history of serial monogamy. And is that working? Yeah. For it the is, most part, yeah. it can work. It really yeah. depends on the motivation that a couple's going into it with. If they're yeah. both sort of sexually expansive and appreciate the role of sexuality in being alive, um, yes. If uh, they're really just looking to solve a problem, if one partner's sort of being dragged along. Right. That's, um, yeah. So it's kind of a flip of a coin. But I, I, was I try in and a help people make it work open relationship once, but it How did, did not that work, work out for you? Not great. Yeah. <laughs> it was like a... First off, this is before I feel like non-monogamy or polyamory became more mainstream. Yeah. Obviously, it has existed forever, but uh, it was a situation where it was sort of like um, when we're together, we're together, and when we're not, we're not. And so there weren't defined rules. It got very messy very quickly. My feelings were always kind of getting hurt, yeah. and I think what it did is it bred insecurity. Yeah. Which yeah. is yeah. from friends of mine that I know that are in what I would call functional non-monogamous relationships, kind of the polar opposite. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's really important to have a, a strong primary relationship if you're going into it as a couple. Yeah. And actually, I've seen couples with non-monogamy do increasingly interesting arrangements like deciding to date another couple together and mm. sort of be in a monogamous relationship but with another couple and sort of make it a more of a shared experience. So, you know, there's lots of interesting variations. But yeah. um, do I think that Americans are having good sex? You know, I think kind of the issues sort of stay the same. Like, I wrote She Comes First a long time ago. And as we were discussing <laughs> earlier, uh, a lot of women are still not really getting the most out of partnered sex, you yeah. know? So yeah, in a lot of the ways, the wild. problems are the same. I Yeah, it kind of blows my mind. We were talking off uh, mic about how I speak to a ton of friends, just a ton of women. Like I'm always trying to talk about sex relationships just because it fascinates me. And last night I was out and my friend literally was like, I don't, which vibrators do you use? How are you coming during yeah. sex? And it made me sad. Yeah. We were also, we got very kind of graphic and I mean, I don't care, but sh she didn't, I don't think anybody's like ever touched her G-spot. 
Which right. is fine. I mean, I think right. maybe that works for some women and not for everyone. But those kinds of conversations, it's hard for me not to go like, wait, I don't understand what is happening. Well, you tell me. I mean, I um, I work with um, a lot of young couples and very often, you know, I'm talking right now about cisgendered heterosexual couples. And very often the women will come in and say, yeah, I love sex, but I don't have orgasms during sex. Orgasms are for when I'm masturbating and taking care of myself. I enjoy partnered sex for different reasons so it seems like, like a lot what? of people exercise like, <laughs> connection okay. intimacy i mean then you have a lot of then, then there's the opposite which is being too orgasm focused right and not being sure. appreciate not being able to appreciate all the other aspects of sex i'm working with a couple yesterday where the guy read my book and he's approaching you know sex as um a game show or something okay. like how well can i do and the woman feels intense pressure mm. to have an orgasm and is like i really like all the other parts just as yeah. much if not more so that is something that does drive me nuts when I feel like guys are w just waiting, like that feels like there's a ticking time clock. I'm like, wait a second, how did this just become a, a game show? Yeah. Again, I'm the sole contestant. Yeah, yeah. Then it's then it's really. I mean, there's healthy objectification where you feel desired and wanted, and then there's yeah objectification where you're just like an orgasm object for some <laughs> guy. One thing that really struck me in kind of all of your books, and this is a two part question. It's made me nervous. That's the morning. So one part at a time. One part at a okay. time. Why are people so scared to talk about? their sex lives or their sexual fantasies. So let's talk about the fantasy thing first, because the way people approach fantasies, it's almost confrontational. Like I'll sit with couples in sessions and let's just say a woman will be like, I just want to know what's his fantasy. Like he's mm. not telling me what's really turning him on, you know, and I want to know. And, and sometimes someone on the other end of that could be like, look, I really don't know. My fantasy is sort of like sex and yeah. we're having it. So I believe that everyone fantasizes. I believe that everyone has erotic themes that we bring with us across the life cycle, you know, specific themes and content that really turns us on more mm -hmm. than other themes. So I think we all have rich, potentially rich erotic lives and rich erotic imaginations. But like you just said, we don't necessarily know how to tap into that. And we're not really communicating about it. Like, I, I find it very interesting. I'll work with couples who have been, you know, in relationships for 10 years, and they'll talk about everything. They'll talk about prenups and in-laws and kids and where they're going to live and religion and food. Like, they can talk about everything and argue about everything, and they've never once, I mean, never once talked about the sex that they're having, you know, because it's what just supposed to work it's just supposed to happen and why why would you never have a conversation about a topic that i think is more important than most of the other topics i just mentioned well first of all it has a lot to do with how you ra were raised yeah, right most of sense. us were not raised in sex positive homes yeah. where healthy sexuality was talked about and modeled i'm trying to do that in my my own home most of us were raised in sex avoidant homes where sex just wasn't discussed mm. some of us were raised in sex negative homes and if you were raised in a sex negative home then more than likely you're going to be talking about sex through a lens of of sex negativity the journey from sex negativity to sex positivity yeah. is a long one but if you grew up in a house where sex was never talked about well isn't that what was modeled for you? Yeah. It does explain a lot because I grew up in a pretty sex-positive household. Right. So when you're with a doctors, partner yeah. 
Yeah, so when you're with a partner, you're comfortable oh, yeah. um, talking about what you want yeah. and what you need and what's not working and... Yeah, I, I also am a- like, so, like, what are you into? Yeah. That's a question that I ask everyone, and I didn't realize that it was not common. Well, what do people say when you say, so what are you into? Mm, generally, the first response is, what do you mean? And I'm like, well, do you like to get pegged? Are you mm-hmm. into role play? Do you, mm-hmm. or is, is BDSM like a thing? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't find, it's not a confrontational conversation, like for right. me, like, I'm just curious. And if the answer is nothing, the answer is nothing. That's right. fine. That's, right. you know, right. it is what it is. It's more just right. like, okay, if we're here and we're doing this thing and we're naked, we right. might as well. Like, right. Don't you want to get the most out of this? Well, you're sort of saying like we're at a restaurant, I guess. So yeah. what do I want on the menu? Yeah. And let me decide ahead of time. I think that's an interesting approach. Like, why not? Like, yeah. I talk a lot in my book about, you know, sex scripts, what comprises a sexual event and having different sex scripts. I guess if somebody... Which, by the way, changed my life. Oh, thank you. Truly has made me think about partnered sex in a totally different way. I think that had I read your book, a few years ago, my life would be different. Oh, well, that's that's very nice. What would <laughs> what the, would be different though? Do you think? Well, I think I had a hormonal problem. Truly, okay. like one day I woke up and the lights were off. Like I right. no longer wanted to have sex with my partner, but also didn't masturbate at all. Okay, went from being pretty sexual to just nothing, and it really fucked with my boyfriend. We never got over it. Yeah, he couldn't believe that it wasn't personal. Right. I mean, it was right. very personal to me. Right. I went and saw doctors, and these doctors literally looked me in the face and was like, I don't think you like your boyfriend that much. Right. It was pre- presumptuous. I also was like, well, I can't tell him that. <laughs> this not going to help. <laughs> Were they at all right? I mean, was it an attraction issue? No. Okay. No, it wasn't. You know, the biggest debate I have with other sex therapists, mm-hmm. I just had this last night, is the importance of sexual attraction in picking a partner and the extent to which something can be created that wasn't necessarily there in the first place. And I I wrote a piece for CNN not too long ago talking about how so many couples that I work with that have sexual problems or lack of sexual desire really say, well, I never picked this partner because I was sexually attracted to them. I, I had plenty of hot sex, but that was kind of crazy. I picked this partner because I'm getting serious now, right? So this is about security and safety and a future. And anyway, doesn't sex just stop once you're married or <sighs> won't it just get better? So I find it incredible that uh, so many people are picking partners without privileging and prioritizing sexual attraction. That is what you've just said is accurate in terms of like, I have seen that anecdotally. I have a friend right now who is still single specifically because she can't find the person that is, you know, safe, reliable, consistent, all of those things that she is also attracted to. Yeah. And will not compromise on that. And I think that that's smart because... I don't know. I've just never... Do you know uh, the movie Clueless? Yeah, I saw it when it came out in the theaters. So that's about how <laughs> 200 old 200 years am. ago, yeah. <laughs> okay. okay, so there's this moment where Cher has this, like, realization that she's in love with Josh. And I always refer to it as, like, the I'm in love with Josh moment. Where yeah. she's gone through the whole movie not realizing she's in love with her stepbrother, which we're just going right. to glaze over because right. that's that weird. But, and then it's like she gets hit in the head with a lightning bolt. And it's like, I'm in love with Josh. Yeah. I've been waiting for that moment my whole life. 
Yeah. And it has led to so many awkward conversations with guy friends. Yeah. Because it's never you're, happened. Right. You're waiting for someone to that you really care about, that you really love, that you have emotional safety with, to suddenly be the Super hot person hot that you want to... Yeah. yeah. Right. It's never happened. Right. I, I hear you. I hear you. I think yeah. that that's true. I think that that's true. And I don't think that that can be created. I don't think that should be overlooked. I don't think it should be devalued. And I get in arguments all the time. With, with people about the importance of attraction and can it be created yeah. down the line. I believe it can go away if it was there. Sure. I believe it can diminish, but I don't believe you can find it if it wasn't there. Yeah, I don't think so either. And it's crazy because I'm such a nicer person when I have sex, good sex. What do you mean nicer? <laughs> oh, you mean you're nicer. Like I'm nicer. Like I, the world yeah. would be a better place. Yeah, Truly. Like, yeah. Like there's a, an ease, a calmness, the, the I, there are real hormones that get released. Hundred percent. You know, couples therapists, couples therapy needs to evolve because most couples therapists would say, if you have a sexual problem, mm-hmm. it's a relationship problem, and you should work on your relationship, and that's going to fix the sex problem. Now, that's because a lot of them aren't educated or trained in sex. Mm-hmm. But I actually take sometimes the opposite of approach. Like, you know, if you have a relationship problem, maybe you can help your relationship problem by having sex Mm. or improving your sex life. And there have been studies that have shown that couples, regardless of sex, gender, orientation, couples who have sex once a week and have healthy sex have higher levels of relationship positivity than couples who do not. And couples who have sex two, three, four, five, six times a week don't necessarily have higher levels of relationship positivity than the couples who had sex once a week. But oh. the couples who didn't have sex once a week, yeah. have, haven't had sex in like three weeks or four weeks, have significantly lower levels of overall relationship positivity. So it you're counts. talking about sort of like the positivity that comes from sex yeah. and the halo effect. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> it's real. Uh, yeah. And so I, these I'm, women that are having sex, but they're not getting the halo effect. Well, is the halo effect connected to orgasm or is it connected to the connection? Oh, for me, it's connected to orgasm. Cool. Yeah. Right. So you're you're going to prioritize orgasm or it's important. I agree. Let me say, by the way, I also catch a lot of flack because I don't know if it's the same for your generation. But when I was growing up, there was kind of and even starting to practice, there was this idea that men always have to have orgasms. Men are orgasm focused. And for women, it's sort of a a nice to have, but a must not a must have. And that became the cultural belief that was espoused in like every magazine. Mm -hmm. And I think it was just a big excuse for guys being illiterate and culture yeah. being illiterate yeah. and not knowing how to consistently give women orgasms. And so let's culturally say it doesn't matter that much. So I actually do value and prioritize orgasm almost to a fault. It's like it's a culmination, right? It means you were aroused. It means yeah. you were connected. It means you were turned on. It means you were absorbed. You were in flow. Your body was alive, right? All of those things, yes. And I... just had a conversation with a really good friend of mine. She's breaking up with a guy because she Mm -hmm. isn't being satisfied and she's angry afterwards. Right. And I was like, yeah, dude, because by the time he's come, you're just getting ready. Right. And then it's like, I don't know what the equivalent of blue balls is because, again, we have not developed that for women. But so then she's just so frustrated. But his refractory period is 
is too long. Like there's not right. Anyway, so right. yeah, that's dumb to depend on the refractory. Period, <laughs> yeah. Better to focus on on having good sex. But you know the problem is that you know. So I wrote this book. So tell me about the last time mm-hmm. you had sex in terms of what was your last sexual event and and what was it like? And the vast majority of heterosexual couples, I mean, what percentage of heterosexual couples do you think either had penis and vagina intercourse the last time they had sex or attempted to and couldn't for some reason? A hundred percent? Like 95 percent, like 96 percent. Okay. You know, it's really high. Now, in terms of the patients I see, how long do you think it takes from them to get to get to from the idea of sort of, hey, let's have sex and Mm -hmm. jump into bed or wherever they're going to have it to the intercourse. So fast. I think it's probably so fast. Oh, wait, if they're your patient, how long have they been seeing you? Maybe if they've been seeing you for a while. They came in. They just come in. And it's because it's the first question I ask in a first session. I would say it's pretty fast. Yeah. Anywhere from zero to five minutes. Yeah, five to six minutes with a median being sort of, I think, more around uh, three minutes. The zero is always interesting to me because that's like, we're going to show up in bed in- naked. He's going to have an erection. It may hurt a little. It may not, but we're going to go straight to intercourse because that's what sex is. Wow. Right. So there's so, a total discrepancy in arousal. It's funny that you say that because the way that I actually found you is I had a guest on, his name's Hunter, and he was reading your book, She Comes First. And he and I got into a conversation about foreplay. Mm-hmm. And I had said like 20 minutes, like like it needs to be a long time. And he couldn't believe that I'd said that. Yeah. He was like, there's no way. I don't want a blowjob for that long. And I was like, okay, well, that's you. But Well, that's how he's thinking about foreplay, something that's genitally focused, that's not intercourse. Okay. All, of, all of the things. Yeah, that's a very limited view of and foreplay. I think he said something like seven. I'm not sure. But I was reading your book, and then I sent him a page. That... Foreplay is core play or something? <laughs> yeah. Like foreplay is a complete act of sex? Totally. But that also, if in one of these pages that if women have foreplay for 21 minutes or longer, it really drastically increases the odds of... Yeah, there was a statistic I quoted in She Comes First at the time that was about 80% of women do not orgasm from intercourse alone. But 80% of women plus do orgasm from intercourse plus outer course and a complete sexual event right. that's really more outer course based than, than intercourse based. Yeah. And you asked me an interesting question, are couples having better sex? And I want to say actually yes, if we're talking about like younger heterosexual couples, because there is more cliteracy coming into the bedroom in a lot of cases. People are saying, you know, I want my partner to have an orgasm before me because I'm going to have it first per se. Or women will say, I want to use my vibrator during sex and I'm going to bring that in. Or here's a position and you're going to use, you know, your fingers. So Mm -hmm. I think that there is more openness to recognizing that most intercourse positions on their own do not provide the kind of stimulation that leads to orgasm. Right, right. right. Most intercourse positions do not adequately provide clitoral stimulation. And the clitoris is really the powerhouse of the female orgasm. I know. I hope everybody listening just really took that to heart. (laughs) (laughs) Because I do think that's the first step into making sure that you're having satisfactory sex. Absolutely. And it's so much, actually, it takes so much pressure off of certainly uh, women to try and have an orgasm without that or to fake it. But for guys, man, I meet so many guys who, I mean, can I tell you, like, I could build an entire 
I could hire two therapists. I don't have a group practice, mm-hmm. but I could hire two therapists whose only job was to deal with young guys who have psychological erectile impairment because of performance anxiety. And I could send you at least at least five. Right, right. <laughs> Probably so, more. Right, so that's because of the pre- this pressure to make intercourse an entire sexual event. So, you know, from the beginning, I came across back in like 1995, I forgot the, the writer, she was the first one to actually use the term outer course. And mm. I thought that that was kind of a, a brilliant term yeah, at the time. totally. You know, and to take a total outer course focus to sex. And an outer course focus to sex can include intercourse. It's just recognizing that a penis and a vagina is just a behavior. It's no different than any other behavior that we're going to engage in. Sure. Do you mind if I ask you quick another yeah, question course, on this topic? Yeah. So we said that about 99% of heterosexual couples had intercourse mm-hmm. the last time they had sex. So looking at gay men, mm-hmm. let's just say. Oh, way higher. Well, hold on. What, <laughs> okay. what percentage of gay men do you think had intercourse, penis and anus intercourse, the last time they had sex? Oh, way lower. Way lower. Because I have a lot of... Gay friends, and I can think of one right now who's like, Oh, yeah, I'm like, we don't, I rarely have sex, yeah. and in the way that we think of. That's right. Sex. So it's about yeah. 35%. Interesting. So 65% of gay men did not have anal intercourse the last time they had sex for a whole variety of different reasons, but what they did have was a tremendous amount of outer course. Right. And there's about 10 basic outer course behaviors. When you think about manual stimulation, oral stimulation, kissing, connecting, touching, building a sex script. And what's interesting is in a survey of 25,000 gay men on their last sexual event, 25,000 men took those 10 behaviors and created over 1,300 different sex scripts, different sequences of pulling those behaviors together to create a personalized path that was pleasurable, you know? And that's not something that heterosexual couples do. No, I don't think so. So I have another question for you. You said, and I appreciate this, that if if we're going to have sex, why not make it like we're going to pick the restaurant we want to go to mm-hmm. and we're going to pick the menu items and we're going to know that yeah. in advance. I'm gluten-free. Let's avoid this. Right. So is that what you really want? Like, do you want somebody, like, before you're going to have sex to say, so what are you into? And then you can decide together, well, tonight might be, like, BDSM themed or tonight I just want some outer course or... So it's interesting that you say that because I don't always... Sometimes that comes after, like, after we've had sex sure. the first time. I try to be really mindful of men's egos because I also also have come across a lot of dudes with do we use the word dysfunction um it depends on the content i try not to like if we were going to talk about like erectile dysfunction Mm -hmm. right it's been called erectile dysfunction it's called erectile disorder it's been called impotence Mm -hmm. i really don't use any of those terms sometimes i I will use erectile impairment but i actually don't even use that term usually what i use is erectile unpredictability or erectile variability. Okay, so I have encountered a lot of variability from men who straight out the gate are like, listen, I will come really, really quickly. Yeah. So we're gonna focus on you first because there's 
nothing I can change about it. That's this amazing. Is what it is. Guys will say that on the first yeah, date. That's yeah. really cool. I mean, you know, I write about she comes first. That was an issue that really uh, plagued me was, you know, coming first. Yeah. Um, and I couldn't talk about it as a young person. And if I had talked about it, my partners wouldn't know how to deal with it at that For time. Sure. And I would have been felt pathologized. Mm. Um, so I think it's amazing if a, if a person can actually come to a partner and yeah. say, listen, I might be having anxiety the first time, and I might not have the most consistent direction. I've also had that. This guy is like 6'5", truly one of the only guys where I've ever walked down the street, and as many women as men would look, like just insane, and very kinky, into BDSM, and told me out the gate. He was like, oh, the first few times we have sex, like I will absolutely use Viagra because I get really nervous, and then I'll just settle into it, and it'll be a thing. But it's funny because it was... He was so confident in it. It wasn't a big deal. Right. right. A lot of guys, I recommend uh, take that approach when they have those, that, those initial uh, jitters. jitters. or Yeah. And then some couples will only have outer course because, I don't know, they're still thinking that intercourse is some big deal that they're leading up to. Mm. And they had great sex all the way up to the first time they had intercourse. And then that's when the problems began. And they can't Mm. get back to it. It's like going back to the Garden of Eden. They just can't get back. They've eaten the apple, the poisoned apple and uh, whatever it is. Fascinating. So I have one other question. So if you say to somebody like, what are you into? What do you really like? Mm -hmm. Are you expecting somebody to say, well, I like role playing. I like pegging. I like BDSM. But what if that person says, I really just love kissing? I really just love like getting in bed and just like having a nice kissing session. I think that so that has happened to me. Actually, it's funny that you say that because the best sex of my life is with a guy who is a classical musician. So I say that because I'm like, I think he he's very skilled. He has rhythm, he has timing, he's mm-hmm. great with his fingers, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And it was mostly us kissing. Mm-hmm. I feel like I am, what I'm into changes. It's definitely partner dependent. I think that mm-hmm. I, I don't know if it's that I started as an actor, what it is, but I like to create whatever is going to exist with that person. Mm-hmm. So whatever we would create would be different than what we would create would be right. different than what we would create. And I do get a little bored. Like if somebody was like, I'm I'm always into this one thing, like I only ever want to do this, right. that would maybe grate right. on me a little bit at right. a certain point. Right. But I'd be okay with the kissing thing. Right. Like I don't need it to be balls to the wall all yeah. the time. It's funny because I have so many couples who are like into kink, into role playing, into you name it, and they're struggling with their sex life. They're struggling with desire. And sometimes I'll say, well, what's it like when you two just kiss each other? Mm. And they'll say, oh, we don't kiss each other. I don't like that or something about. And and that really tells me that something might be going on with their innate chemistry. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I can't imagine having sex with somebody without kissing, like ever. A lot of you asked me, like, is sex getting better? And one way that it's not getting better is because I ask thousands of couples about their sex scripts. And you'd be surprised how many do not include sensual kissing. Like kissing that's going to get us synchronized. Kissing that's going to get us absorbed and relaxed and calm. And that's sexy. No, no. Highly absent. Highly absent from couples' sex scripts. New trend or a... I think it is. Okay. I think it's somewhat new. I think it's wow. somewhat new generationally. I, I think it's actually a function, again, of people picking partners without sexual chemistry. I, I've seen this a lot. Mm. We don't really have sexual chemistry, so he can go down on me or I can go down on him or we can go straight to intercourse, but no, we don't kiss. So I think it's kind of a function of 
picking again based yeah. on safety and security. Wow. That is then you really might not want to course. look at that person in the face and taste their Of course. You know. Yeah. Might be easier just say, just put your dick inside of me. Yeah. You know? Oh, way easier. Trust me. Yeah, <laughs> way easier. Yeah. Fascinating. So I have a question for you. I know a lot of women who feel like guys going down on them is way more vulnerable than sex. Mm-hmm. What's that about? I personally think that that's about cultural conditioning and genital self-esteem. I think it's a more vulnerable act, which it is, because I think from what I've come to understand is that a lot of women are really worried, like, how do I really look down there, smell down there, taste down there? I, the last thing I would ever want to do is go down on, have that in my face, you Mm. know? And then the biggest question that women often say is, I don't believe that he really enjoys it. I don't believe he's really into it. So it's an act that I think can trigger a lot of discomfort. And in She Comes First, I have a whole chapter just dedicated to the concept of just reassuring Mm. a partner and making a partner feel emotionally safe with that and letting. I mean, it is true that all the elements that I just described, taste, touch, smell, time, those are all elements that can be aphrodisiacs, not turn offs. For They're sure. turn ons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's wild. I mean, for me, when I was like not into it, it's just because it wasn't good. Right. You know? And so how do you communicate to a partner how to be better at well, oral sex? I didn't know. Right. So I would just say, I'm not really into that. And then, right. yeah, I, I spent a lot of time having sex because I thought it was like what I was supposed to be doing. Right. So and did I. And sometimes it was like I got lucky. Right. And it just worked. Right. Most of the time. And then you want to just hold on to that person and never let go of that person. Yeah. Just like, holy shit. Yeah. And then, weirdly, I was on a waterbed once. It's so weird because this was. Yeah. In modern times. Yeah. I was on a waterbed. And that's when I realized I was really into getting fingered. And that mm-hmm. sort of unlocked the next phase of, I would say, my sexual journey. Right. And things I, change I, from I think there. when somebody's not good, when a woman feels like a guy isn't good at oral sex, I think it's also a matter of timing. I think that, like, people, like, oral sex, direct clitoral stimulation, fantastic behavior, often delivered at the wrong time very, very early in a sexual event before a partner's really fully aroused and absorbed and in a state That's of flow. That's actually, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That does make a lot and of so sense. And so when I'm talking to couples about their sex scripts, mm-hmm. I'll often say, well, you need like a new first act or you need like a new arousal runway because you're going straight to, in one way or another, direct genital stimulation, whether it's intercourse, oral sex, manual stimulation, you need to do other stuff that's not just physical, that's psychological too, right? You need to get yourselves really turned on. Yeah, you have to like heat the pan up before you're gonna... It seems so basic. It seems so basic and yet it's elusive. Yeah, we're not taught about money. We're not taught how to do our taxes. We're not taught about a lot of things that we are supposed to do and, and be really good at. And if there's, if we're not, there's pretty big consequences and I think sex is a huge one which is truly why I have this show yeah that's great because I am not I'll I'd rather just talk about my stuff my life if it makes people feel more comfortable because I do believe having these conversations 
is the first step. Not feeling uncomfortable bringing a vibrator on a date knowing that you're going to have sex. That's true. That's Why true. Not? Right. It's like basic financial planning. Learn some basic sexuality. It's funny. I've been married for to, with my wife for like 25 years now. And she's still like, what's our bank account again? What's our <laughs> password? Wait, what is this tax thing you're asking yeah. me to do? But if we're talking about sex, like she's That's right it. in there. Yeah. You know, so it is funny. Like, yeah, I guess you're right. And it's just more, but aren't couples more comfortable sort of feeling like, oh, we need a financial plan or let's mm -hmm. go see a personal finance planner as opposed to we need to figure out how to have good sex? Yes. We need to learn how to combine our money. That's something that we don't know, but we should know how to combine our bodies sexually. Well, I think it goes back to what you were saying about shame and just the society that we, we live in. Like, it's weird that we are in such a hypersexualized world, yeah. but then the actual real conversations around sex are so stigmatized. Yeah. Like, I mean, the STDs has to be the next battle that we yeah. fight because the way that STDs are stigmatized is absolutely fucking insane to me. I but just even thinking about that, there's yeah. so much shame around that. And there's yeah. so much shame around women saying like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't know how to get off. Right. Or I don't even know how to get myself off. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think that yeah, that's... Well, you're going to be bringing in, uh, you're going to be talking to the one of the co-founders of Dame Products, <laughs> that's right? That's true. That's true. Those yeah. are my favorite sex toys. I recommend really? them all the time. That's the, they're the first ones I recommend usually. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Just because they're great products. They are they great, do great products. Yeah. Product research. <laughs> yeah. I've done yeah. a lot of product research. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question for you very specifically. Sure. Because I was reading, so tell me about the last time you had sex, and you talk about safe risks mm -hmm. and how safe risks with a couple can bring like a little bit of newness, a little bit of spice when you need it. Mm -hmm. And then I got worried. I got worried that I'm so vocal and mm -hmm. kind of out there that I won't have any safe risks left. Right. So what's going to happen to me when I am in a 10-year relationship and things. Well, let's talk about this. So what did I really mean by safe risks? I really meant that I talk about three types of sex that mm -hmm. kind of exist as big buckets. There's procreative sex, which, you know, some of us have on pretty, occasion pretty when it's the time. Sure. Um, and that brings up issues. Then there's really relational sex, which is really tied into our relationship and helping us feel connected to, mm -hmm. a, to a partner over the long term. And then there's recreational sex, which is just fun sex that you yeah. could have with a partner, you could have with yourself, you could have casually, anonymously. And most of us focus on the relational sex and we lose sight of the recreational sex mm -hmm. because the recreational part was just being with someone for the first time and getting to know someone. Yeah. That provided all of the novelty. So I think that relational sex is great when it works, especially in terms of providing that safety, emotional safety, allowing you to be vulnerable mm. around sex. But we lose the recreational, right? So mm. safe risks are combining the relational with the recreational. I think what you're saying is that you're so focused on like the fun mm -hmm. and the recreational aspects that like, are you going to run out of fun stuff to do? Is that sort of what you're saying? Kind of. That like a lot of, now granted, this is, the book is specific to couples that are having issues that you're helping resolve. So I know that yes. there's it's through a lens, but yeah. it seems like you do such an excellent job of helping people break down their walls 
and mm-hmm. find you know common ground or unlocking right. like that thing that they were embarrassed to admit that they're now sharing with their partner. And I'm right. like, what if I'm not embarrassed to admit anything? Right. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you find like, are you a thrill seeker in other aspects of life? Or are you seeking out peak experiences? Do you get off on adrenaline in any way? Not really. Not no. really. Okay. Because we're I'm actually he- pretty risk averse. Right. Okay. <laughs> But what I'm hearing is maybe sexuality is a place where you do want to have those peak experiences. I think my fear is waking up one day and looking into the eyes of the person I love and being like, man, I'm bored. Right. Well, I think I think first off, you have good communication from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if you are comfortable incorporating psychological arousal into a sexual event, by that I mean there's face-to-face psychological arousal. I mean, listen, women can fantasize their way to orgasm without touching themselves. Men can get very robust erections without touching themselves, watching something, thinking about something. So why aren't we bringing more of that psychological arousal into the bedroom? So how do we bring it in? Now, Mm. you might be someone who's very face-to-face in how you bring it in, and you're looking for a partner who's ready to role play with you or ready to do something fun or kinky or different. A lot of couples aren't ready for that face-to-face psychological arousal, so they can start with something that's like side-by-side like watching some ethical porn together. You know, there's so much out there that they could do. But if you can bake in the concept of psychological arousal Mm -hmm. with communication, with knowing each other's bodies well enough to have good technique to move through the process of arousal, I think that you have a lot of potential to keep expanding and growing. And I guess you'll never get bored. What's that? I guess, I guess, yeah, because that's the storytelling aspect. But where you might start, you might start to hit a wall in that your sexual temperament, your sexual personality might be tuned differently than a partner's. Like, I got to be honest, I'm a little more of a sexual couch potato. Like, <laughs> if something's really working well for me, like, I don't need a whole lot more than that. Sure, I like sure. to have a fun date night. I like to, like, yeah. eat a gummy or something like that. But, <laughs> yeah. like, it's not going to take a lot. And luckily, I'm with a partner who's sort of in that same zone. Matches up. But if I was really with somebody who is, could get bored easily with sex or really needed or wanted a lot of variety and a lot of novelty, that might be a challenge in the relationship. Oh, boy. Well, I'll, so, have, to, I'll have to check right, You back have in to think you, about yeah. how you're matched with somebody in a lot of different areas, including sex. Yeah. How... Hmm. I wonder, how do you go about figuring out that part? I guess because I am into newness. Mm-hmm. That could also just be because I've been single for a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you figure out, let's talk about this. I'm doing this out loud spontaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you figure out compatibility in a different aspect of life with a partner? How are you going to know if your friends are going to get along or, I don't know, you're going to like the same foods or where else are we looking for compatibility? Yeah, sure. I guess part of it's instinct for me. Part of it is like the immediate vibe that you get with somebody and then time. Right. And what are the areas where people start to feel a lot of incompatibility, like around alone time versus together time, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like I think how they handle the phone. How they handle like technology and uh, work. I mean, I guess on big things like kids or religion and money there's incompatibility but then there's also just like i don't know like we're not we're not into the same things in terms of fun like on a weekend right and i guess you only learn that through a little bit of through instinct Mm -hmm. and through a little bit of experience bringing it up yeah seeing if you can overlap i always say that relationships are a venn diagram right you're a circle i'm a circle we overlap 
And what we're really occupying is that relational overlap and how much of ourselves can we bring into the relational overlap to create compatibility. I love that. You know? I have a question that got submitted that I would love to ask you on behalf of the person. He has a great sex life with his wife, according to to him and to her. She's never had a vaginal orgasm during sex Mm -hmm. without a toy. Right. And he's wondering if that can change. Well, first of all, you have to ask yourself, what is a vaginal orgasm? And yes, can orgasm be stimulated through vaginal stimulation? Mm -hmm. Sure. But what is a vaginal orgasm? I mean, a vaginal orgasm is actually a clitoral orgasm. How is it a clitoral orgasm? Because the clitoris sort of is structured like a wishbone, right? And so the part of the clitoris that's visible is the tip of the wishbone, Mm -hmm. which is at the top of the vulva. And people say, well, that's my clitoris or that's the clitoris. Yeah, yeah. But from there, there are internal stru- there's an in- internal structures that are largely like two it's kind like of elastic iceberg. legs. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, imagine a wishbone. And that wishbone is elastic, and it wraps around the front of the vagina, the entrance to the vagina. Okay. Right? So now you have an entrance to a vagina that when a clitoris is being stimulated, the legs fill with blood, and they wrap tightly around that vaginal entrance. So friction Mm -hmm. in the vagina is going to create vibration Mm -hmm. against those clitoral structures, right? The, The vagina itself does not have sensitive nerve endings. The vagina is designed to honestly, to deliver a baby, not to deliver pleasure. So a woman doesn't need more sensation. in her. It's already painful enough, right? So the only reason vaginal stimulation, and this is going to be controversial. People are going to say, no, I don't agree with this. But I'm going to contend that the, the only reason that vaginal stimulation is consistently pleasurable is when there's friction against those clitoral structures. Mm. That's why the G-spot is so sensitive. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thinner vaginal wall in kind which like there's the a back. urethral sponge that's butting up against yeah. those clitoral structures. So it's about creating vibration. So hmm. that's why this woman enjoys Vibration, because external vibration gets internal, and then there's the internal vibration you can provide with a vibrator. And you should ask Janet from, or Alexandra Fine from Dame Products all about this as well. So I would say to this guy, what can you do to create, you know, more vibration? Hmm. so maybe maybe it is just embracing a sex toy as a source of friction. Maybe it's using manual stimulation. Maybe it's thinking about how you are using your penis to create that vibration. Maybe it's about thinking about a position that's not the missionary position where like doggy style where you have, you know, a better ability mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. provide friction against what's known against the G-spot, but that's what it is. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. Okay. Everybody needs a you in their life. And because the clitoral structures only wrap around the first inch Mm -hmm. or two of the vaginal canal, generally, what that means is that girth and thickness Mm -hmm. is actually more important in a penis than length. That explains, yeah, that explains a lot. We should not be parsing this out like G-spot, vaginal, clitoral. I mean, orgasms are ultimately mentally and emotionally constructed, right? So an orgasm could include nipple stimulation. An orgasm can include anything, right? Your orgasm is your 
orgasm. Yeah. I think that that's smart, though, to stop. We should stop identifying them because it almost makes it competitive. Yeah. Which is not helping right. anyone. Right. Oh, and I don't want to give her an orgasm from oral sex because that's not a real orgasm. And why isn't she orgasming? Why aren't we right. orgasming at the same time from penetration? Right. It creates right. a hierarchy. Yeah. As if in which intercourse something... is the tip of the pyramid. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And like that's the thing to be achieved. And so because I think when you said they're mental and emotional, that really resonated with me. 100%. Because ultimately, when I've had what I will deem good sex afterwards, the thing that I am focused on is that or the way that I feel. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the vast majority of women that I work with that don't have orgasms, sure, they'll say they don't get adequate clitoral stimulation. But you know what's really happening a lot of the time is they're just not able to like mentally deactivate and get mm. absorbed in the sex that they're having. Their mind is still on something outside of the bedroom. And guys can be a little different in how desire and arousal really operate. In men, very often with the strong, spontaneous desire, that desire can cut through the inhibitors. Like, oh, the smoke alarm's going off. Yeah, we're having sex. I don't care if it's a fire. It's just a fucking toaster. You know, don't worry. No, no, no. It's hot. People are, you hear people going downstairs. I'm telling you, it's just the toaster, right? Like we can cut through those stressors. And I'm not saying that women can't, but a lot of women have a harder time. Yeah. And so focusing on the mental, emotional experience that allows for absorption Mm -hmm. and getting into flow is really important. Sometimes I repeat like a mantra. Yeah. I know that sounds weird. No, no. no, I didn't really think about it until you just said that. What is, you don't have to tell. Well, it changes every time, right? But like sometimes I'll, oh, this is so embarrassing and so personal. I can't believe I'm going to admit it. Ah! (laughs) Uh, (laughs) The last person I had sex with, I just kept repeating, I would marry you. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know. I would marry you. Was that your way of saying this feels really nice and secure and good? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I don't say it out loud. It's in my mind. I don't think you're talking about literally needing to marry, but what you're saying is. I also literally would not marry this person because I'm not interested in this person as a boyfriend. Right. For a myriad of reasons. So I think what you're saying is this feels really nice. Yes. comfortable yes but it is a weird yeah it was a weird thing that was like circulating in my brain but i do think i might do that instinctually to tune out other ideas or other thoughts right so that i can stay focused and in the zone study after study shows that as women are getting closer to orgasm and parts of the brain associated with arousal are lighting up other parts of the brain that are associated with outside stressors are Mm -hmm. actually going dark so Mm. in truth to turn on the sexual brain needs to turn off especially in women Wow. Yeah. So there are a lot of hurdles that women are facing today. Yeah. And maybe like one day your mantra will be, I would have a primary relationship with you with (laughs) two secondaries. And as long as one of them was gender fluid. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's a very long mantra. Also, I'm having a hard enough time finding just a primary partner. The thought of adding more people. Yeah. And I think sometimes, I don't know, I find like with younger people that sometimes they're almost ashamed to admit they just want a primary partner and to be in a long-term relationship with someone. Interesting. Wow. We've really, we've really come to the other side. (laughs) And then I've had, I've had 
couples who met and they said like, well, I identify as non-monogamous or I identify mm. as non-binary and yeah, I want to be in a relationship but I don't see monogamy as being the be-all end-all. And they said that in the beginning and then maybe along the line they've kind of re-reflected on that but one partner's like, hey, remember when eight years ago you said that uh, you were non-monogamous? I know we've never done anything like that in our history but <laughs> I sort of want to talk about that now. Yeah. And I want to say that people are allowed to change their minds. Always. You know? Always. Yeah, I think that that's huge. And I like to say that just up front to everybody. I know. Yeah. I'm like, And even on this podcast, what I think today might not be what I think tomorrow. Yeah. Because hopefully I am evolving. That's right. So that's right. can't wait to get canceled. <laughs> right. And so you can't just like say, well, you were into this in the beginning, or this is who you were. Yeah. Now you've changed. Of course you've changed. Life has changed. Having read your books, I would say that kind of language toward a partner also puts up walls and kind of pushes them into a corner as opposed to like reading about sex scripts, that kind of definitive language of mm -hmm. you said this or you did this right. is not going to help have good sex or a or healthy relationship because right. it's making somebody go like this instead I, of... I agree. And the reason I, I have this concept of a sex script, it's really just a metaphor. I mean, couples are coming in to see me and they're not having good sex. Mm. And the primary thing that they want to do is to have good sex. They're generally yeah. not struggling with their sexual identity, their sexual personality. They're struggling with some aspect of sex. So when I can say, tell me about the last time you had sex, and we can think of, of an event as having a structure that begins with an expression of desire and yeah. possibly ends with orgasm, the problem they're having is almost always reinforced by something that's happening or yeah. not happening in the sex script. But it's not meant to be rigid. It's not meant to be like, here's my sex script. What's your sex script? Right. If anything, right. I would say more like, well, here's a menu of behaviors that I sure. enjoy. What's your menu of behaviors? You said themes at the beginning of this conversation. And themes. Yeah. And I think, though, once you kind of know how to create a working sex script with a partner, it's something that you can really build on and improvise on top of. I'm going to link to all of your books. Your work is really incredible. Thank you. I appreciate I, I that. Genuinely, I can't. First off, you always have a seat to come on the show truly <laughs> whenever you want. Thank you. This has been my favorite interview I've done. Oh, I appreciate and that. in closing, what's the best love advice you've ever been given? The best love, not the best sex advice? Can, I always ask, like, what's the best relationship advice? So I guess in that sense. Okay. The best relationship advice that I could give does involve communication. But it's not just like have good communication. It's recognizing that when we communicate on difficult topics mm -hmm. like sex, the first thing that happens is we often become defensive. It's an innate response for our guard to go up and for us to become def defensive. And so we're really then starting to communicate from defensive parts of ourselves. It's like we're sending out the soldiers to do the negotiations and the communication. Mm -hmm. And behind those defenses is usually a vulnerability. Like, I'm worried that I'm not good enough or I feel rejected. And if we can communicate from a place of primary emotions and vulnerability. Instead of saying like, we never have sex and I don't know what your deal is. If we can get into like, hey, you know, I I've been feeling like we've been neglecting sex a little bit or I've been feeling a little neglected mm -hmm. or like rejected a little bit. Like, I, I just think it's coming from a softer, more vulnerable space that's yeah. inviting in a conversation. So in my own relationship over the years, I have learned to stop communicating when I'm upset from my defensive 
activated places and to connect into my primary emotions. Holy shit. So that's sort of... That's our next (laughs) podcast. That's sort of where I would uh, put things. That's amazing. Thank you so much. If people want more of you, how do they find you? Just my website. I don't have any social media. It's just my website. Unfortunately, that's it. I think that's great. I appreciate coming on. I really value podcasts and the role in educating about sex that you're playing. So thank you. No, thank you. Okay. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> hey guys, thanks again for listening. Like I said, if you have not rated and reviewed the show, please, please, please consider dropping me five stars. Regardless, thanks again for listening and see you next Tuesday. <laughs>